The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. As we sit in the weight of this moment and we stare upon the cross, we're reminded once again that through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God has taken our guilt and our shame upon Himself to free us from the bondage of sin. And so with the few moments tonight, I want to focus in on that shame piece. I want us to reflect on that. I want us to think about shame and the cross. I've found, I don't know about you, but I I found it it's hard to, to talk about shame. It's hard to give language to shame. It's it's so elusive. We've all experienced it. We we know its sting. But to talk about this dark experience, to acknowledge this dark experience, to stare at this dark experience in the faces, it's not easy. Heavy, isn't it? I think the words of Harold Sinkbell, the Lutheran pastor, are helpful in putting language to this experience of shame. He says this He says that while guilt and while shame overlap with one another, guilt is sin committed, shame is sin suffered. Guilt is sin committed and shame is sin suffered. You see, guilt has to do with behavior. Shame has to do with identity. Guilt is tied to the things that you and I have done, while shame is this continued experience of utter remorse over who we are. When it comes to the experience of shame, we don't just experience shame in our thoughts. We experience shame in our bodies. Um, It's tightness in the chest. It's a downward gaze. It's a punch in the gut. It's this inexplicable feeling that we're dirty. I've, I've found in my own life that shame has a, a tone to it. Shame has a tone. It's, it's angry, it's judgmental, and it's condemning. I've also found that shame has a vision. It presents an eschatology, a, a vision of the future, what's to come. And that vision is, well, it's pessimistic, isn't it? It's bleak. And it's hopeless. You know the Bible. We know these stories. Uh, Adam and Eve experienced shame, didn't they? So they, they trusted in themselves, pride. They disobeyed God, rebellion. They fell into temptation, weakness. They ate the forbidden fruit, guilt. And then what? Their eyes were open and they covered themselves. They covered themselves and they hid. 
There you go. That's shame. This is what shame does to us. Uh, Shame causes us to run away and to hide from everyone around us, including God. So, instead of Instead of running to God, instead of hiding in God, we hide from Him. And why do we do this? Why do we hide? Well, Sinkbell says this about shame. He says that shame burdens the heart. I think this is helpful. Shame burdens the heart with an overwhelming sense of disgrace and dishonor. Those are two words I want us to remember. Shame burdens the heart with an overwhelming sense of disgrace and dishonored. Remember, shame is sin suffered. And so, in our filth, in the feelings of disgrace and dishonor, we, we do what? We hide We do anything in our will to cover it up so that no one will see it. I think what I'm about to say is extremely important for a biblical picture of shame. And that is that shame doesn't only come in our lives because of our personal guilt. We can experience shame because of personal guilt that we've committed, yes. Um, but we can also experience shame when we're sinned against. Uh, We can also experience shame from just living in a fallen world. So this is why abuse victims, spouses who have been cheated on, children who have been bullied, children who have been neglected and mistreated by their parents, they report feeling what? Shame. Why? Because they've personally sinned? No. Because they've been sinned against. They have been violated. They have been dishonored. They have been treated less than individuals created in the image of God. Shame. This is why those with disabilities or those whose bodies don't meet cultural norms? Have you heard of body shaming? This is why those who age and get older, they all report what? Feeling shame. Why? Well, if you live in a culture that lifts up and gives honor and dignity and worth to those who have worldly standards of beauty, to those who are fit, to those who are intelligent, to those who are youthful. If that's who deserves honor, if that's who deserves dignity, then what does it say about you when you don't meet those cultural standards? As I was preparing for this sermon, I just got the overwhelming sense that shame is constantly flying under the radar. But shame is a 
powerful force. It's a powerful force. And then I started thinking, what if Adam and Eve are not the only ones sowing fig leaves? What if they're not the only ones trying to hide? And what if some of our problematic behaviors and our misplaced affections are attempts at covering up the immense shame that you and I deal with on a daily basis? What if we've been trying to cope with our shame through an ever-changing set of fig leaves? Shame is pervasive in this world, and it's a powerful force. Hebrews 12.2 says this, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. You might be familiar with that verse, but do you know what it says next? It says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. And then it says, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Crucifixion was considered to be so shameful that the word was avoided in polite conversation at the time. Uh, Crucifixion was the most humiliating form of official execution in the Roman Empire. It was this public announcement that this person who is being crucified is but, well, they're less than human. They deserve disgrace and dishonor. This person hung on the cross is a, the scum of the earth, a specimen that is not worthy to live. And in Jewish law, anyone who was crucified died under the curse of God. The curse of God, the ultimate shame. So Jesus, the one who had nothing to be ashamed of, allowed himself to be stripped, spit on, taunted, rejected, and made nothing on the cross. As as he hung from the cross, as he was being mocked, as he was there for everyone to see. Shame was throwing everything that it had. Shame was throwing its full weight upon him. But Hebrews 12.2, it was nothing compared to the joy that he set his gaze on. Shame had no power compared to the joy that Jesus had in obeying the Father. Shame had no power to the joy that He was going to experience when He was glorified, when He was resurrected and ascended and exalted to the right hand of God. The shame of the cross had had no power compared to the joy of forgiving your sin and cleansing you from your sin. Shame, the joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Though shame threw everything that it had, its full weight at him, he knew who he was. He was God in human form, one with the Father, 
in the Holy Spirit. He had everything, and yet, for our sake, he who was rich, what? Became poor. So that who? So that we, by his poverty, might become rich. So in your experience of shame, know that you have a great high priest who can sympathize with you. Jesus knew shame. He identifies with you in your shame, and he takes away your shame by taking it upon himself and by doing this, by bestowing honor upon you. By bestowing honor upon you through adoption as sons and daughters. I imagine that many of us know the story of the prodigal son. In the story, the son returns, right? Um, and he's filthy. He returns in shame. And he says, What to the father? He says, Father, I've sinned before heaven. And before you, guilt, right? But then what does he say? He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. Ah, I'm no worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a servant. Not behavior, but what? Identity. And And what is so extravagant about the love of the Father in this story is that He doesn't just forgive the Son. He doesn't just remove His guilt through forgiveness. He removes His shame by restoring His identity as a Son. He brings the finest robe. He brings rings. He brings shoes. What are these? These are emblems of sonship. Do you see what he's doing? He is restoring his identity to him. He's not just forgiving him. He is restoring his honor. And so you and I, covered in our shame, we come before God and we say, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness. We will not bother you anymore. You will not see us. Because in our dirt and in our filth, we feel disgrace and we feel dishonor. But the beauty of the triune God and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just that he forgives our sin, but he says, I will not have that. You are my son. You are my daughter. We are having a feast, and I want you in the place of honor next to me. That is who you are. He removes our shame by restoring our honor as beloved sons and daughters of the king. This is what God has done. So what does shame say to you? That's worth thinking about. What moments come to mind? The cross of Jesus Christ has made your most shameful moments on this earth. Whether that's because of your own sin or whether that's because you've been sinned against. The cross of Jesus Christ makes it powerless Because when the voice of shame tries to speak, there is a louder voice within us. And that voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit that bears witness to our spirit that we are sons and daughters. And our future is one 
of glory. Tell me something this evening. Tell me a greater honor that this world can give you than the honor of being a child of God. And tell me a better future than a future in Christ glorified in Him forever. This is what God has done through the cross. His shame for our honor and ultimately His glory as we say forever, worthy is the Lamb and intimacy and honor with God. Amen.